Thanks, Jim. Um, on the far right-hand side screen, or your left-hand side, is the outline of the talk today, so if that helps, that would be great. Um, and you've also got uh, the PowerPoint. Hopefully, as things come up, we'll, uh, uh, we'll look on to that as well. Uh, God, that's not fair. Justice, God, Christianity, how does it all work? That's our topic for today. Um, Australia, I guess, is known as the land of a fair go. Uh, that's how we keep on talking about it. We enshrine having a fair go as one of our national values, really. And it's also in our language. You know, those crazy Australianisms that we have, you know? Fair suck of the sauce bottle, fair crack of the whip. That's how we talk about things, having a fair go. And I'm, I'm, I'm the father of three kids, right? And you just see this so early. Um, it, it's almost like you see it in the development of language. It's almost like kids start off and they do the, the ba 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 babble thing. And then the next thing they do, they say, mummy, daddy. And almost immediately after that, it's not fair. That's what comes out of their mouth. Ba 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 ba, mummy, daddy, it's not fair. And, and it's pre-language. It's pre-language. Um, this is, this is my youngest, right? One and a half. One, one of the reasons why I need to run away uh, straight afterwards today is that he's just had a hernia operation this morning. So um, uh, the, the thing is, you know what Tim's talked about in terms of the communication card? I'd love it if you do write your questions in the back and put your email on there because I'd love to chat you, with you further about the issues. Um, but anyway, this is him, right? He can, he can hardly talk. He's... he's 17, 18 months, something like that, right? But if he sees his sister getting a little bit more ice cream than him, yeah, 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 it's, it's there. We, we see it in language. We see it pre-language. It's, it's a concept that's developed so early. And yet, the reality is different. Um, the, the reality is that we see global injustice. The reality is we see justice in Australia. I logged on to the uh, ACOS website, the Australian Council of Social Services website, and it, and it says, is Australia fair? Right now, there are two million Australians who, don't, who do not have an acceptable standard of living and go without the bare necessities of housing, work, education, health care and community service. Two million. That's 10% of our population. Their daily struggle to make ends meet take its toll on their health and life chances. It is unfair that children in jobless families are less likely to complete high school. Currently, 11.3% of people who have not done Year 12 are unemployed, compared with just 3% of people who've done a bachelor degree. That's what you guys are doing. Uh, children in the poorest families live shorter lives than those born in the richest families. And the gap is growing wider. Uh, you know, the newspaper articles keep on coming. Gap between rich and poor widens. All the time we're told, t told about... The, the, the unequal distribution of wealth in our land and in the world. And it's not just those big issues, which we won't have much of a chance to talk about today, but even judicial unfairness. You know, th those people who commit gang rapes and seem to get away with minimum sentences. What is that? Uh, the, the Hoons you heard about recently, who's been street racing and killed someone, well, they've been caught and they're going to, to trial soon. In my area where I live, in Northern Beaches, recently, same thing happened. But no one knows who they are, and they've got away with it. People are dead because people have been doing horrible things. And the whole underage crime thing, because they're so young, they commit crimes, yes, and they can't be prosecuted. And they stare at policemen in the face, and they say, well, you can't do anything about it. Where's the justice in that? And it's not just around in our society, it's ourselves as well. We experience it whether it's racial discrimination, sexual discrimination, age discrimination, being ripped off, 
You know, you just watch the stuff after the TV shows, uh, TV news, the, the Today Tonight, the Account Affairs, all that sort of stuff. It's just not fair sometimes. Uh, a couple of years ago, I was parking in the city and I found a spot, I parked in it, and I got out of the car to go down the end of the street to see the street sign so that I actually know what sort of parking was there. I found out it was a loading zone, so I went back to the car. And, and between that time of getting outside the car, going to the sign, coming back, I was booked. <laughs> what is that? Ah, <laughs> oh, man. It's big, it's small, it's personal, it's countrywide, it's worldwide. And I think so we cry out, God, it's not fair. It shouldn't be like that. God, if you're there, if there is a God, it's not fair. It shouldn't be like this. And it's often here that people who don't believe in the Christian God actually attack Christian people. See, they say things like, if your God is so good, then why doesn't he, she, it, whatever you think your God is, why doesn't he do something about it? That's the attack. And it often takes itself in in this form. Three sentences. Firstly, you believe in a God, you Christians claim, a God who's omnipotent, a God who's all-powerful, able to do anything he desires. You Christians, secondly, believe in a God who's all-loving, benevolent, always wanting to do the best for us, always wanting to do things the best for people. And yet evil exists, and in this case injustice. There's evil in the world. And the argument goes like this. The propositions actually can't hold together. If there's injustice and evil existing, then God can't be all-loving. Either that, or he's not all-powerful. Either he can't stop it, and so he's not all-powerful, or he doesn't want to stop it, so he's not all-loving. There you have it, you see. God is dead because evil is alive, there's injustice in the world, so your God can't exist. It's a lie. Your claim of a God who's all-loving, all-powerful, simply isn't true. Three short statements, and the Christian God is dead. Of course, the problem that we're dealing with today is something far greater than just a logic exercise. Dealing with three sentences. It's much more than that. Uh, The attack holds such power because of that third statement. Evil exists. And we know evil and injustice exists. I've talked about it a little bit earlier. But it's crazy. It's crazy when a gunman can go into a school, kill 33 people, kill himself, And no justice is done, because it can't be done. It's crazy when refugees come into this country knowing what they've gone through and the experiences they have. Last year, I was involved with doing a a mission, a short-term mission, with a a local church um, down at, at Belmore. And in that church, there was a Sudanese congregation. And it was a great joy to be involved with that congregation, really. There have been people who have been persecuted uh, back in their homeland, and they've come over. But it was just horrible watching the children play. Not horrible in, in, in that they were doing horrible things. It was just watching them do sword fights. I, I don't know whether you watch kids do sword fights. It's usually, you know, thrush parry, thrush parry. It's great fun. But seeing these kids have their sword fights, it was awful. You watch them do the slashing motion across their neck. And you just wonder, what had they seen before they came over? What are the injustices that is so going to be burnt in their minds that they're going to be screwed up for the rest of their lives? It's just not right. It's not just sentences that we're dealing with. 
It carries emotive power that is very, very great. Because of the problem of the evil, the real injustice that's actually in the world, it affects lives. Let me raise the stakes even further. Because I'm talking about it out there sort of thing. And I've been joking about it in here. But it's not just out there. It actually involves us and our friends. You know, one of the things I love doing sometimes is, is to sit down with the Sunday paper. And often there's all those interviews in the Sunday Life magazines, that sort of stuff. And they talk to people. And one of the things they always ask is, what, what is the thing that you find most enjoyable in your life? And often they'll talk about family and their kids and, and how important that is. And yet the thing that we prize most, we suck at it. 55% of our population of our marriages end in divorce. 55%. The thing that we think is the most important, the thing that gives us significant security, life, happiness, we fail at it. And if it's 55% of marriages that end in divorce, well, you probably know someone or you're probably in a situation where that's true. And different people react differently, but statistically, you're worse off. Single-parent families just struggle more. Economically, socially, it's hard. And it's a generational problem. Not just for the divorced couple, but the children, and also for the grandparents who missed out on that lovely bonding with their grandkids. It's a real problem. We're in a world of war and rape, murder, brutalisation, alienation. We're in a world of starvation. We're in a world where tyranny and injustice reigns in governments. We're in a world where people can't find health and happiness. We're in a world torn by sickness and death. We're in a world of real suffering, real pain, real evil, real injustice. And so, friends, it's a powerful argument, not because of a logic thing, but because of that third sentence. There really is evil. It's, it's real. There's so much injustice. Uh, some of you know that I work as a doctor. I think uh, about two months ago, a, a patient came in with depression. And it was a horrible story. She had put all her life savings in this company. And the company's collapsed because the, the directors of it have swindled the money and gone away. And they haven't been able to be caught. And of course, they're living a healthy, wealthy life. Why? Because they put their assets into someone else's name. And so they can't be even prosecuted. They've got nothing. Where's the justice in that? If we're going to look for a solution, and we're going to talk about justice, God, Christianity, logically, then we've got to look at that problem. We've got to take it apart bit by bit. We've got to deal with the problem. But I want you to feel that emotion that we've been talking about, of the real injustice that's in the world, the real problem of the evil. But let's look at the problem of evil. And the first thing I want to say is that there are lots of problems with the problem. The first problem that I want to bring is that, well, it's a pretty limited definition of God. That God is all-loving, God is all-powerful. I mean, imagine, if I say Tim Robertson, who, who, who chaired the meeting, right? Tim has got brown hair and he wears glasses. That's the sum total of description that you need to know about Tim Robertson. Right? It's just inadequate. I hope it's inadequate, Tim. Um, <laughs> but that's, that's not who God is. The God who reveals in the Bible is far more complex than that. The God who loves people actually punishes people. The God who loves people sends people to hell. What kind of love is that? Unless you understand the complexity of it. God is just. God reveals himself in so many different ways. A second problem with the problem is that it's a static definition. 
We expect everything to be right now in this cross-section of time. And the thing that the Bible keeps on saying is that God is actually working in time-space history. He started with his people, the Israelites, the children of Abraham, and it moves on into a new heaven, to a new earth, through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Christians believe. God is working in space-time history. He's not static and cross-sectional like that, that you, you can just set up a problem in some point in time and space and say, that's the answer. But a third problem of the problem is that I think it's really a Christian problem. You see, it, it, it's a concept, evil, injustice. It's a concept that actually demands an absolute. It's a Christian problem. You see, if you don't believe that there's a God, well, then you only believe that the world is. The world's an accident. There's no reason, there's no rhyme, there's no purpose, there's no meaning. You're just here because, well, you're here. You're an accident of, of, of some big bang or whatever you believe that started all this thing off. You're no better off than the chair that you're sitting on. In fact, the chair that you're sitting on, those benches are probably better off because it doesn't feel injustice. It just lies there. And, and you have these complex, stupid emotions that demand some some form of, 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 of standard that we just invent. Because for an atheist to say something is unjust, well, you're really saying, I don't like it. For an atheist to say, well, it's just, it's fair, just means I like it. But so what? You like it, you don't like it, who cares? It just says something about you. It doesn't say anything about reality. There are no standards, there's just existence. Moral judgments are just personal reflections. They're not actually statements. I'm not a lawyer. I'm a doctor by trade. Uh, we only did, I think, one week of medical jurisprudence, and that was how to be an expert witness and uh, how to cover your backside of your suit, I think. Um, but I'm going to talk a little bit more about justice. Um, and I've been doing a, a little bit of reading, and, and a lot of it comes from this book by John Pratt called Governing the Dangerous. Uh, and one of the things that he describes is that we now live in, in what he calls a neoliberal state where morals have been deregulated. Not that people are amoral without morals. It's just that everybody has their own standards and institutions, incumbents, don't have the right to determine for us what's right and wrong. And there can be no insistence on conformity to an outdated morality. Individuals have freedom of individual choice to determine things for themselves. And what the book does is it actually traces through the history of, of, of the dangerous class or the dangerous people and how they're being governed. And so it traces right back to pre-modern times when it you know, talks about those retributive justice type things where we used to maim people and, and, and injure them and send them off to Australia and stuff like that. And of course that's barbaric. We don't do that anymore. You know, retributive justice just isn't right. And in fact, in, in New South Wales at least, do you know, we don't have a Department of Justice anymore. The name's been long changed ages and ages ago. It was changed to the Department of Corrective Services. And now it's just New South Wales Corrections. We don't deal with justice anymore. Retribution, prisons, we don't even talk about Department of Prisons. That's just too retributive. We don't do that. And so we have a warm and fuzzy term called corrections. It's all about correction and rehabilitation. That's what we use prisons for. That's what justice is about. And yet it fails. Recidivism, that's a word I just learned to say in the last two weeks, by the way. Um, <laughs> repeat crimes. It, it's just as high as ever. It fails in deterrence. Our prisons are bursting at the seams and we always want to build more prisons. Privatise, of course. 
But why should one person be used to deter another person anyway? How's that just? How's that fair? How's that moral to use people like that? And of course, you don't really have to be guilty to deter other people. You just have to think antisocial thoughts. That was enough under Stalinist Russia, really, to lock people up so that that would deter other people. And prisons actually don't stop people from crime either. Prisons themselves are ripe with crime and they're finishing schools for, 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 for criminals. Uh, this was just a Sunday paper a couple of weeks ago. Right? Uh, this is what they find in prisons because lawyers actually sneak them in. Guns and drugs and... See, if you don't know any about, anything about crime, going to a prison is probably a good place to learn about it. It doesn't stop people from crime. And so now we talk about, well, preventing future risk. And so we lock people up before crimes are actually committed. And so, if I lock you up before you do it in the first place, that'll be great, because that will prevent you doing the crime. And then we won't have to rehabilitate you, because, well, you did the wrong thing, we don't have to re rehabilitate you. And so it'll deter people, because, well, if that's what you do when you think about doing it, then what the heck are they going to do if we actually do the crime? It's horrible. And so who wins? The psychological profilers, the geneticists, the actuaries. They're the ones who determine who to punish. So the state has now taken on a utilitarian ideal of making people happy. The aim is social control, social engineering, about protection, uh, protection harm minimisation. See, if you've gotten rid of God, you don't have justice because you've got no standard to just, judge by. And you lose connection with justice. But I think the general public hasn't lost that sense of justice. The public hasn't lost their sense of anger and of outrage. And you see it on the TV screen. Outside the courtrooms, when people have been wronged and the judge have, have given too small a sentence and the cries of outrage and a satisfaction when the sentence seems to be right, it's still there. And if you can read about the, those outrageous reports of pack rapes or, or drink driving or, or whatever, or the Holocaust or, or whatever, serial murders, and if you don't feel angry, then I want to say to you, you're losing touch with justice and morality and common humanity. And in fact, you're losing touch with God. But what I'm not doing today is I'm not going to prove the existence of God like this. That, that's, that's not what I'm on about. Yes, it's nice to deal with the problem of the problem. But the place where I want to start is just connect with the commonality. I know you know that there's justice. Christians believe in a justice. And with that common ground, I want, you, I want to invite you into the Christian worldview to actually see how this justice, God... Thing work. How do Christians feel about justice and see justice and see justice done? And so I'm going to invite you now to actually come and step into the Christian worldview, to think about it a little bit more. And to do that, we'll need to look at the Bible, because you don't want to hear what Michael Quine is saying. You actually want to see what the God of the universe actually says to us about how justice works. And so we're going to look at how it all works. That's the outline there. Let's go through things bit by bit. Um, the first um, bit in the Bible uh, actually is not there. If you, if you can just drop it down, Ecclesiastes 4, 1 to 8. Uh, I'll read it to you. Uh, it says this. Again I looked and saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed and they have no comforter. Powers on the side of the oppressors and they have no comforter. And I declared that the dead who had already died are happier than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been 
and has not seen the evil that is done under the sun. And I saw that all the labour and all achievement spring from man's envy of his neighbour. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Um, The book of Ecclesiastes is a wonderful book. Um, If you came with a friend, it'd be a great thing just to look at. Um, It it actually reflects on reality of, of the world. But it's depressing stuff. And especially if you're an art student here and you read something like this from the book of Ecclesiastes, it's probably hard to believe that it wasn't written by some French existentialist, like Sartre or Camus or something like that. It's just depressing stuff. And yet, that's what's written about the human condition 3,000 years ago. The condition of humanity is the same. The evil in the world is just the same. There's injustice then. There's oppression then. There's oppression now. And it's so dreadful, the envy and greed of people, that the writer actually says sometimes it's better not to have been born. See, that's what Christians know. Christians just don't don't say, well, evil, it doesn't really exist, it's just an illusion. Christians don't say that. Christians won't say, well, you know, evil, injustice, you can blot it out of your mind, it's just karma or some sort of payback. It's not like that. It's not just fate. It's not karma. It's not an illusion. It's not just, well, a chance happening. It's real because it's there. That's the starting point of Christians. We actually want to say, we see the world clearly like you do. There really is evil. A few years ago, I remember, uh, this is way back actually, when I was going through university, um, it was in an inner city, an old man, a homeless man, a slave to alcohol, who couldn't afford alcohol and, and lived on methylated spirits. He lived in a bus shelter. And, and one evening, a group of kids got hold of his metho, poured it all over him, set him alight, incinerated him, made him a human torch. They weren't caught. Or at least, they were probably too young to be prosecuted. Where's the justice in that? And if you can say to me, well, boys will be boys, that's the nature of things then I say there's something dreadfully wrong in your head. It shouldn't be. It cries out. Something is wrong here. I I can't always put it into a logic sentence. I can only say it's wrong. The world is wrong. And if you can see the things that go on in the world and say, well, it happens because it happens, it happens. It all just is a mess. There's no God. Well, I think you're pretty screwed. And I'm saying, what sense of the world do you make if there's no God? Does this make sense of the world to actually acknowledge that there is a standard, there is right, there is wrong, there's evil, there's injustice? Does this make better sense of the world than you're making sense of the world? But the second thing to say is that Christians also believe in a future judgment. Remember, the story of the Bible is not static in one point. It starts somewhere, it goes somewhere. Uh, this next passage actually comes from a, a book of the Bible called Acts. And it talks about um, uh, the Apostle Paul giving a talk. And he says, For he, God, has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. There's going to be a time when justice will be done finally and fully. A world where justice will reign. That's where it's heading to. And the way it heads there is by judgment. Here's another, another passage from the Bible. It talks about how it's going to be done. By the same word, the present heavens and the earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. 
and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. It's going to be fixed up, and it's going to be fixed up completely. There's a whole renewal that's going on. I don't know about you, but when I was a teenage kid, and mum and dad told me to clean up the room, it usually was shove everything under the bed. It was that bit that you can see from the door. You know, as long as it's satisfactory, they can't know the difference, that's okay. God's not like a teenager. You know, he's not just going to head straight down to Canberra and fix up the mess or something like that. Or, you know, just some ungodliness is okay. Well, you know, liars, they're all right. Murderers, nah. It's not like that. God's going to fix up the mess completely. And this world of justice means it's going to be total justice. There's not selective cleaning up or something. The third thing to say in our little exploration of the Christian worldview is to think of our situation, is to understand our situation. That is, the world is wrong because we're all wrong. Uh, this is a, a, a piece of writing from the Apostle Paul in a book called Romans. And he goes around all in the Old Testament, quoting all bits of the Old Testament, saying how we've all fallen short. Everywhere, everyone, everywhere are evil. See, the Bible says everyone's a liar. And, and my experience of the world is that everyone are liars. It actually makes sense of the world. The Bible says that everyone's fallen short, not just of God's standards, but their own standards. And that's true. The Bible makes sense of the world. And you know what? The Bible actually goes beyond there. It actually says more than that. See, the real problem that we're all part of is not just breaking laws or something. I think sometimes, if you're not a Christian person here, uh, you often say, well, sin. Yes, I understand the concept of sin. Sin is just breaking laws. That's not the Bible's concept of sin, I don't think. The Bible concept of sin, or what the real problem is, isn't just breaking laws. It's actually wanting to make laws. See, the problem with sin is actually rebellion. Saying, God, you have no, you have no right to be the judge. You have no right to be the arbiter of justice. You have no right to determine what's right and wrong. Get off from your throne, because I want to put myself there and therefore determine what's right and what's wrong. That's what sin is. So each one of us, if we're not Christian, have gotten rid of God. And so we put ourselves to make up our own rules, our own sense of justice, our own sense of morality. And no wonder we all clash. And no wonder we can never see justice in the world. When the professional lawyers and the academic lawyers think about one form of justice, and you're sitting there thinking, there's no retribution here. I'm not being uh, compensated. It just doesn't work. The problem is that we're all part of the problem. Well, if you think, okay, there's evil in the world. Yes, I get that. Michael, you've been talking about that. That's cool. I understand that. Yes, God is going to go to this incredible place, um, going to take us to a land of perfect justice, and, and it's going to be happening through judgment. But hang on, Michael, you, you just said that we're... We're all part of the problem, and, and, and God's going to do a complete job. And, and if he's going to do a complete job to get there, and we're part of the problem, then, well, it sounds like the new heavens and new earth are going to be pretty em- empty of humanity. The great thing about the gospel is that God, because he's righteous, actually does something about it. God actually shows justice, not just in the future, he shows it's demonstrated his justice about 2,000 years ago at the cross. And the justice that he demonstrates is fair and correct. The justice that he demonstrates is merciful. 
the justice that he demonstrates restores relationships. Uh, nowadays, uh, the new uh, academic lawyers around the place are talking about a thing called restorative justice, uh, especially by a guy called Michael Schluter from a group called the Relationships Foundation. And they're espousing this idea of restorative justice. And, and you've probably seen some of it already in, in terms of conferencing um, between teenagers and whom they've offended or uh, victim impact statements. That's all part of the process of restoring relationships. And what that involves is that it's got to be merciful, it's got to be fair and correct, and relationships need to be restored. And the problem is, because of hard human hearts, often relationships aren't restored. And we can do one thing and forget the other. We show mercy sometimes, and then you think, hang on, there's no justice really done. Where's the punishment? Where's that gone? Well, there was one act back 2,000 years ago where God demonstrated justice, his justice that was fair and correct, it was merciful, and it restores relationships. See, God had no obligation to do this work of, of restoring people. God did it out of his mercy, out of his grace, out of his love. Uh, there's a great verse that lots of people know, even not, lots of non-Christians. Uh, John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's out of mercy, an expression of kindness. And it's not just that. It's fair and it's correct. It deals with the problem. It just doesn't say, well, it's okay. You can do whatever you want. I'll just overlook it. It says in 1 Peter, For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. A price had to be paid. And it was. And that was in the person of his own son that he took the penalty that you and I deserve. Yes, the price had to be paid. It wasn't going to be overlooked. And God paid it. It was fair. It was correct. See, God just doesn't overlook sin. You know, he doesn't say, well, people are just like that. I won't worry about what you've done. You know, uh, the millions of Jews that you killed, Adolf, you're fine. Idi Amin, okay, come on in. Stalin, those Russians. What's a few Russians amongst friends, really? God doesn't do that. There's a price to be paid. It just doesn't sweep it under the carpet. There's real justice that's being done on the cross. And he deals with a real problem. Not just a problem that's out there of utilitarianism or something like that. We need a better education, so God so loved the world that he gave us a new education minister or something like that. You know, for God so loved the world, he gave us a new government. It doesn't say that. It deals with our problem of rejection and rebellion. God actually restores the relationship. In the book of Colossians, it actually says this. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you. You're okay. You're friends again. By Christ's physical body through death, the death on the, on the cross, to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. God's justice is fair. The price is paid. God's justice is merciful. Something that we don't deserve. God's justice restores relationship between you and the almighty creator. Well, some of you are saying, so what's the delay? God's fixed up the mess. He's done this justice thing. Well, why don't we just go there? 
go to this place of, of, of eternal justice and, and, and fairness and, and no mourning and crying and, and pain and all that sort of stuff. What's the delay? Why isn't he doing something about it now? Well, one of the things is, God actually wants us, in view of what, what he's done to us, to actually be active now. It's not just pie in the sky when you die, Christianity. The accusation that so many Christians have been accused of. No, understanding God's justice. Yes, we can't make the world perfect, but it means that we're active in justice in the world. We want to make things right. Some of you have seen that movie Amazing Grace. You know that uh, William Wilberforce, John Newton, were at the forefront of the abolition of slavery. Christians have been at the forefront of, of having a free press. Our greatest newspapers were often Christian enterprises, like the Sydney Morning Herald, the Melbourne Age, or the Launceston Examiner. The foundation editor, John West, actually declared uh, the, the Examiner was not to be a religious newspaper, but what is more necessary, the paper of a religious man about free press, uh, uh, the welfare state. You know, if you take out the Christian organisations that prop up the welfare state in Australia, it would collapse. Christians were at the forefront of the factory acts, of prison reforms, of the judiciaries, of the hospital systems. Christians were at the forefront of the education system. It grew out of the Sunday school movement. And the call now is not to say, well, be so heavenly minded that you have absolutely no earthly use. You understand justice. You understand the God of justice. You know where you're heading to when judgment's coming. Will you be involved in the world now and make it right? But more than that, it's actually time for repentance as well. There's a passage from 2 Peter that talks about, uh, that we read before, but the bit that we missed out, talks about why God is delaying. And it says this, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. We see injustice in the world, we want it fixed right away. That's a good call. Just make sure you're not part of the problem that's going to be cleaned up. And the Bible keeps on saying, God is delaying his hand so they give you a chance to turn back to him, so that your relationship can be restored that you can take on that justice that was done 2,000 years ago on the cross and take it as your own. And then live the just life and exercise justice in this world. This week the EU has put on a series of talks for our so-called Opportunity Week. Uh, The opportunity is not just to hear the Christian message. Every week is good for that, I think. And next week Malcolm Gill will be doing a set of talks from the book of Ephesians. And if you want to hear the Christian message, I want to invite you back each week to keep on hearing what the Bible says. Because I think the Bible is full of wisdom. It's full of truth. It makes sense of the world like nothing else can make sense of the world. But we call these Opportunity Weeks particularly because we want to give you an opportunity to respond to the message. We don't always do this. We just do it sometimes. And I want to talk about two sorts of ways, two opportunities for you to respond. One is to check things out. You need to check it out. Sometimes, you know, you sort of think, hang on, it's a 45-minute talk. What, what can you get from it, right? It, you probably need to ask your friend who brought you. There was a couple of things that were flashing on the advertisements a little bit earlier. Uh, one was a dialogue dinner. You know, that's a great opportunity for you to ask a question for someone who might be able to answer it. And what's more, your Christian friend's going to pay the dinner for you. You can't get a better deal than that. 
and, and there are things called God's World courses that's running at the moment, where you can sit down with a few friends, uh, a few other people who are also investigating, finding out what this Bible says, whether it makes sense of the world. But the other opportunity I want to extend to some of you who actually know that it's all true, you've been putting it off for years and years, you know who God is, you know that God is just, you know that there's evil in the world, you know that God has done something about it. And you've just been putting it off until your friends badgered you to come here. And I want to say to you now, today is a great opportunity to make that change. To make that change. Uh, we do it by praying a prayer, really. Saying three things. Sorry. Thank you, please. Sorry for all the stuff that, that we've done to ignore God. Uh, thank you for what he has done in Jesus. Uh, asking him, please, to change us. Asking him to forgive us. That's what being Christian's about. Doing the U-turn. We once were living one way and we've done the U-turn to now live for God. I've written a prayer here. It says this, Dear Heavenly Father, God of all justice, I'm sorry I've made my own judgments in defiance of you and ignoring you. You know that stuff we talked about? Saying, rack off God, you don't have right to be God, I'm ruling my life. We're sorry for that. And we're thanking God for the justice and mercy in Jesus' death for me that I can be right with you. The merciful justice that was shown, yes, the fair and correct justice, and the justice that restores relationships. And asking God to forgive us and change us that I may live with Jesus as my ruler. I'm going to pray that prayer. If that's a prayer that you want to pray, well, echo it in your own heart. Um, I'm going to get everybody to bow so you're not looking at people and I'm not going to ask you to say it out loud or something like that. Just do it in your head. Let's pray together. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, God of all justice, I'm sorry I've made my judgments in defiance of you and ignoring you. Thank you for the justice and mercy in Jesus' death for me that I can be right with you. Please forgive me and change me that I may live with Jesus as my ruler. Amen. Friends, if that was your prayer, the prayer of your heart today, I want to say to you, today is a really special day. A day that you are restored in relationship with God. A day when justice is done. Uh, if that's true of you, I'd love you to tick uh, the box there that says, um, uh, uh, bleh. It's not there. I want you to write down there, I prayed the prayer. Um, because we love to give you some help. There's a whole lot of other options in the boxes there that uh, Tim will explain it to you. Um, but like I say, um, if you've got questions, please write them down in the back. Write your email, I'll get back to you.